Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Is uh, start things off where we were at last week when we started our Choose Joy sermon series. And uh, there was a passage of scripture that I want to read to you one more time. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 through 12. And um, I want to circle back on this before we dive into some fresh stuff. So the writer Paul, he's writing and he says this We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. That, that word just messes with me, imposter, because my son is so into that, that, that new game that they're all playing. What is it, Among Us or something like that? Anyway, I see that word. It messes me up. Anyway, moving on. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten but we've not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And so for today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to continue our conversation on joy. I want to talk to you on this thought that I am calling kill joys. Kill joys. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for all the incredible things that are happening here in our church. We are so grateful for our time of worship, so thankful for what you did in Eli's life as we had an opportunity to reflect and hear his story once again. And now, Father, I just pray that we would receive all that you have for us. I pray that you would help us to block out the distraction, to silence out the noise, and to really listen, Father, to what your spirit is saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are on this thought today that we are calling killjoys. Have you ever heard that term, killjoy, before? Killjoy. It's usually used to describe a person. And a person who's a killjoy is the person who, like, stops the party. You might be in the middle of having an incredible Friday night, and then the one person pumps the brake and says, I got to go home. And you're like, come on, don't be such a killjoy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's a killjoy. You know, the literal definition of a killjoy is this. It's actually a person who takes pleasure and ruining someone's happiness. Could you believe that? That there would actually be people who would take pleasure in ruining someone's happiness. That's what a killjoy is. But what I'm going to do in our sermon today and my context today for what a killjoy is, is I'm going to call those things killjoys, those things that rob us from living out the joy that God wants us to live. We talked last week about the oil of joy. We talked last week about the joy of the Lord. There are things that can come and rob you of your joy. And the enemy wants to rob you of your joy. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. I know a lot of times we we over-attribute things in our life to the enemy, but he's real and he does want to rob you of your joy. In John 10 and 10, the scripture says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. So what that is saying is, Our Heavenly Father wants us to experience this life in abundance, this this life in the full. 
But Satan, the enemy, he wants us to not live that life. And so there are things that happen in our life. There, there are events that happen in our life that can rob us of that joy that we should have. And so what I'd like to do in our time together is highlight a few things. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of the things that can kill your joy. But there are some things that I believe will steal your joy if you let it. If you're not careful, there are things that will rob you of your joy. So I'm going to highlight those things, and then I'm going to give you some ways that you could overcome them, okay? Y'all ready? Here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes. Comparison. Comparison. Comparison kills joy. Comparison will rob you of your joy. Have you ever received something new that you were so happy about? You received something new that you were so proud of, and it was that new thing that just brought a smile to your face, and you were happy until you saw someone else who had something better? You were doing all right until you, you know, you found out your neighbor one-upped you. You were doing okay until your cousin one-upped you. And, and when you begin to compare yourself, what, what, what did it do to your joy? It robbed you of your joy. You were perfectly fine and happy with your toy. But the minute you saw someone else with something better, you made that comparison. And that comparison robbed you of your joy. Y'all ready for a story? Come on. You know, Pastor Josh brings a story. Here's a story. So my brothers and I growing up, um, I, I've got three other brothers. So there are four Herrera scrapping young men. And there's more than that. But anyway, I've got three brothers. So there's a total of four of us Herrera boys. And my dad was so awesome and generous with all of us in so many ways, but, but specifically in that he hooked us up with a car when we all got our license. So the first one was my older brother, James. Now, my older brother, James, he got a used Toyota Corolla, okay? A used blue Toyota Corolla. It was stick shift, and it wouldn't really stay in the fifth gear, so he had to, like, hold that into the fifth gear. But listen, it didn't even matter when my brother got his car. We were so excited because my brother got his first car. I got a white Plymouth Laser. You're like, Plymouth, they make cars. They used to, okay? And I got a Plymouth Laser. That was my first car. Again, it was a stick shift. My dad was all about that stick shift. He was like, my boys are going to learn how to drive stick shift. So I got a stick shift for my wife, Plymouth Laser. It was a fast car, used car. Uh, my brother got his car. My dad bought it off of my aunt. And, and my car, my dad bought off of one of his college buddies. And so that was my first car. My younger brother, Jacob, he got a Nissan Maxima. That thing was like a champagne color. It had some nice rims. My dad bought it off of the neighbor just up the street, and that was my brother Jacob's first car. Now, our youngest brother, Jordan, when it was time for him to get his first car, my dad bought him a brand new Ford Mustang, white with red, with a red racing stripes. Did you catch that? A new car, okay? Used car for James, used car for me, used car for Jacob. But Jordan, the baby brother, he rolls a brand new Mustang off the lot. Are you kidding me? How come the baby brother got to drive a brand new car off the lot? So do you want to know what me and, you know, the, the, the older brothers did? We did what all, we did what all good big brothers should do. We picked on him and we teased him and we gave him such a hard time. But in reality, he was my dad's favorite son. Anyway, what's the point of us saying all of that? 
We were happy with our used cars, my brother Jay, me, Jake. We were all happy with our used cars, and we didn't think nothing about it. It was like that rite of passage. And really, if you think about it, my dad made sure that we got a, a car new to us, no payment. I mean, it was a blessing. Even today, I'm like, man, that was a blessing. My dad hooked up me and my brothers. But the minute we compared what we got with what he got, it began to chip away at our joy. And that's what happens when you compare what you have with what someone else has. That's exactly what happens when you begin to compare the things that you have in life with what other people have. So you have to avoid comparing yourself. You have to avoid the comparison game. Um, not too long ago, I was interviewed on this podcast, and I talked to them about my very competitive nature. And, and, and being a very competitive person, I can't help but compare. I can't help but see what other people are doing. And it's something that I've had to uh, really just kind of bring to God and say, just remove this out of me. Because by nature, I'm a competitive person. I found an outlet for all that competitive energy. Um, but, but that thing was robbing me of my joy. I was never satisfied. I was, I was never content with what I had in life because I was constantly comparing where I was where other people were. I remember one time having a conversation with my cousin. I said, man, there's this guy who's absolutely crushing. He owns his own business. You should see his house. You should see his car. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. just playing this guy up. And my cousin's like, Josh, you do realize you're blessed yourself. You do realize you got a beautiful family. You do realize you've got all these things going on for you in your life. And I was in a moment of comparing myself to someone else. I was in a moment of comparing myself to what someone else had. And that will rob you of your joy. So you can't allow yourself to get into that comparison game. It's going to rob you of your joy. You know, comparison is actually a double-edged sword because not only do we have the tendency to compare ourselves to those who have more than us, but sometimes you'll even compare yourself to someone who has less than you and you begin to look down on them. You begin to lift your nose up a bit and say, well, I got it better than them and, and it, I've got it. You know, my situation is different than them and that's no place to be either because no one wants to be around a person like that. And so you have to be careful and, and, and to push back those, those feelings of comparison. So how do we do that? You're saying, okay, Pastor Josh, if comparison is going to rob me of my joy, what do I do to push that back? Here's what I want you to write down. I want you to write down radical contentment. Radical contentment. And let me read from you Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says this. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as I am with much, with much as I am with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Radical contentment is a posture of knowing that everything I have comes from Christ. Everything that I've received in this life comes from him. The things that I have, that's my portion. Christ gives out portions to everyone in this world. And I've learned to take a step back and say, you know, the things that I have in my life, that's my portion. That's the things that God has entrusted to me. My marriage, my children, my possessions, all of that are things that God has entrusted to me to steward, to father well, to, 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 to husband well, to, to steward my finances well. All of that 
comes from God. And when I know that it comes from God, it allows me to be content in what I have. So even when there's days when I feel like, man, I'd like to have more, but thank God for what I have. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank God for what I have. I've learned to be content regardless of the situation that I'm in. And you know what's so good about contentment? And do you want to know what makes radical contentment so amazing? When you are radically content, you celebrate when God is lifting up other people. You see, when, when you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, when God, okay, not, not the promotion, not the family hookup, none of that, but when God promotes someone, some of y'all can't even celebrate that person. And it's a God thing. We should be able to always celebrate what God is doing in someone's life. But if you're constantly comparing yourself to someone, God might elevate someone and you're still salty. God might elevate someone and you're still nasty about it. You can't fall into the trap of comparison. You got to take a step back and realize, you know what? God gave it to that person. God elevated that person. Amen. Good for him. Good for her. That is a God thing that is happening in their life. So I'll sign off of that point by saying contentment cancels comparison. Contentment cancels comparison. So let's learn to live radically content. Second thing. The second thing that's going to rob you of your joy is unforgiveness. Write that down. Unforgiveness. And here's something that you need to accept right here and right now. People are going to let you down. I don't care how tight you keep your circle. People will let you down. Eventually, it's going to happen to you. And you know what? It's going to hurt. It is going to hurt. But the decision to remain in a state of unforgiveness is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you. I've heard it said this way. You have no control over the offense but you have absolute control over being offended. You can't control the offense, but you can control being offended. If you harbor that on the inside of you, that's on you. If, if you don't forgive people and you can't move on, that's entirely up to you. I know that it's hard to get through the past. I know that it's hard to get through the hurt. I know that it's hard to get through the letdowns in life, but you've got to find a way to move on through them. That might come from just simply falling in love with Jesus and he radically does it. It might be a process by which you've got to read, you've got to pray, you've got to constantly break yourself down. Then do that. Listen, you might even have to go to counseling. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you carry unforgiveness in your heart, you know what it's going to do? It's going to hurt you. Because unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting the person that hurt you to die. You drank the poison. You're only hurting yourself. When you live with unforgiveness, you rob yourself of the joy that God is trying to bring to your life. Because not only do you not forgive that person, but anytime someone comes into your life, and it could be someone that God brings into your life, you've got these walls of offense that are built up, and you can't even let the good people in. The people that are there for you. There could be people that are life-giving, that, that, that are for you, and you won't let them in because you've not moved on from the past hurt. You've not moved on from the past trauma, and you're stuck in this place of unforgiveness, and it's robbing you of 
your joy. Okay, Pastor Josh, so how do I move beyond that? Well, like I said just a minute ago, man, if it's really serious, go get some counseling. You know, read some books, pray. But, but let me point you to the scriptures, okay? Because I said all of that, but, but really this is what I want you to write down. You've got to make allowances for each other's fault. You've got to make allowances for each other's faults. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 reads as follows. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Now this is the challenging part right here. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I always struggled with that verse. Forgive others because God has forgiven you. Because I used to be like, of course God forgave me. That's what he does. That's in his nature. But I'm not God. He forgives. I don't forgive. But then I read the first part of that. Okay, yeah, I was a real salty person. But, but I read the first part of it. And that previous sentence, it really helped me to recalibrate my expectations of other people. It says this, make allowances for the faults of others. Make allowances for the faults of others. In other words, people will fail you. They will hurt you. And in advance of that, give them that allowance. In advance of that, give them that space. Pastor, are you really saying give people the space to hurt me? Not necessarily. I'm saying give people the space to be human. We, we, we are all struggling with our sinful nature. And I never assume anyone is out to get me. But if someone lets me down, I have to give them that space and that grace because they've got a fallen nature. We all deal with sin. We all deal with our flesh. And I can't expect someone to put them on a pedestal that they'll never let me down. You can't do that to people. It's actually unfair. Let me really help you, okay? It is unfair for you to put people on, an, on a pedestal and create expectations that they can never live up to. When you say, oh, they'll never let me down. They'll never hurt me. Oh, come on. The only one that will never let you down is God. The only one who will never hurt you is God. Your friends, your girlfriend, your boo thing, oh, whatever, they're not God. They're going to let you down at some, point, at some point. So you've got to make allowances for each other's faults. You have got to give people the grace and the space because they are human. And I always assume best in pure intent. I always make that assumption about people. But if they fall, or should I say when they fall, I am going to give them the grace and the space to heal because they're only human. Made in the image of God, but fighting this very sinful nature, okay? So the second thing was unforgiveness, and the way that we conquer that is to make allowances for each other's fault. The third thing, and this is the last thing, and like I said, it's not an exhaustive list, but these are three things that I see that can rob you of your joy. Of your joy. This one is ambition. Ambition. Okay, let, me, let me unpack this one, because when I first uh, dug into that, I thought there's no way that ambition could really kill someone's joy. Well, Here's the thing about ambition. It can be a double-edged sword, and it can rob us of our joy. On one hand, a healthy amount of ambition is good. You want to have some drive in your life. You want to set some goals for yourself. You want to make strides in your life, right? You want that progress in your life. You, you want that forward movement. Listen, I want that just as much as the next person. I love goal setting. 
I love milestone setting. I love trying to improve different areas in my life, be it improve my marriage, improve my finances, um, improve my time management, <laughs> lose some weight, whatever, okay? It, it's good to have those things, and, and ambition can be healthy. But when ambition is misplaced, it can rob you of your joy. What do you mean misplacing your ambition? Misplaced ambition is when we begin to live our lives according to our scorecard of success. We create this metric of what success is and we attribute possessions and, and we attribute things here and there. And we say, this is my definition of success. And they have a way of staying with us. Let me, let me give you a lighthearted example, okay? Story time with Pastor Josh one more time, all right? Um, I have a family member who I just recently learned that every house that he's ever rented or owned, um, it had to have a pool. I didn't know that until recently. And, uh, and so my family member said, yeah, I only will buy a house that's got a pool or rent a house, whatever the situation was. It's like, it's got to have a pool. And I was like, why? You know, wh wh what's so... Um, what, what's the endearment with a pool? And, and, and then he said something. He said, well, you see, growing up, you and your brothers had a pool right across the street from your house. So the Herrera boys, y'all had a pool. And then our other cousin, they had a pool in the backyard. And so him and his family, they had a pool. But me and my family, we didn't have a pool. And I was very envious of you guys growing up because you guys had pools and we didn't have a pool. So once I was out on my own and I had a family of my own, I had to have a pool. And from this day forward, he has to have a pool. Now, that's a lighthearted example, but I'm, I'm using that as a simple illustration of what it could look like when people start to allow things to define their success. Ambition can be misplaced when you see success as a metric, you see success as a possession, you see success as some sort of attribute, some place that you've arrived to. And if you don't get to that place, it robs you of your joy. It's like these people that are hyper-driven. You ever met those people that are hyper-driven? Hashtag team no sleep. Hashtag team hard work. Hashtag no days off. No days off? I'm tired of reading your hashtags. I like days off. I like rest days. I like days where I pause and just enjoy. I like a good Sabbath. You know what I'm saying? If God in creation had to take a Sabbath, you should too, team no sleep. But on a serious note, overly ambitious people, it can really be a joy kill. It, it, it could really rob you of the joy that you should be living in your life. Because instead of chasing the deals and chasing the stuff, I've heard it said this way. If you chase a deal bad enough, you're going to catch it. If you chase a deal bad enough, you'll catch it. And that's not necessarily a good thing because some things aren't meant for you. Some things God doesn't want for you. Some doors aren't meant to be open. But if you never get to that place in that space where you can slow down and allow God to speak into you, you'll start chasing things. And your ambition, listen to me now, not only will it rob you of your joy, but you could lose your marriage on an altar of ambition. You could lose your family on an altar of ambition. And you can lose your well-being on an altar of ambition. So let me close with this. So how do we push that back, Pastor? How do we push back ambition? It's actually one of our core values at Lighthouse. 
I'm going to call the headline Selfless Love. And let me subtitle that by saying, let your life make a difference. Your life has got to make a difference. Selfless love, okay? That is simply understanding that we were called to make a difference in this world. We find meaning and joy in our lives by giving ourselves away. It's this, it's this belief of transcendence, right? When you talk about the hierarchy of needs for every person here in this world, sitting at the very top of the hierarchy of needs is this concept of transcendence. You know, I, I believe the, the, the scientists that, the, the, I'm sorry, the psychologists that um, discovered all of this, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I want to say it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And once upon a time, Maslow said that the highest level on the hierarchy of needs was self-actualization, which was really becoming the best version of yourself. And he said, that's the highest, um, that is the, the, the highest human need to, to become the best version of ourselves, self-actualization. But then decades later, he came back to rethink the hierarchy of needs. And he says, you know, being the best version of yourself isn't actually the highest need of a person. The highest need of a person is transcendence, which simply means to live and to be a part of something that is bigger than you. To realize that you have a part in a much larger plan. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Don't think only of your own good, but think of others and what is best for them. Think of others and what is best for them. Have ambition for your life. Set goals. But let's also make sure we are doing the things that are making an eternal difference. I have never met a person who was upset or mad or angry making a difference in the life of someone. Bettering the life of someone else. I've never met someone that said, you know, this whole lifting up other people, it really stinks. I don't want to live this life anymore. I've never heard that. And I believe it's because that, has, that is how God has hardwired us. But if you don't live to make a difference, and if you don't live to give and to sacrificially lay down your life for others, you'll, you're, you're going to find yourself running out of joy. You're going to find yourself hurting. You're going to find yourself in a place where you're asking, there's got to be more to life than this. So I want to close us out in prayer. And I want to call those things out one more time for all of us that are here watching online. The number one thief of joy is comparison. The number two thief of joy is unforgiveness. And the number three thief of joy is ambition. But listen, we can push that back through radical contentment. We can push that back through making allowances for each other's faults. And we can push that back by loving selflessly. Right there where you are, I want to pray with you. Would you grab your family member that's watching online with you? Would you pull them in close? And I want to bless you. And I want to pray for you. And I want the joy of the Lord to run in your home today. I want the joy of you, the Lord to be overflowing in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, in your relationship with your coworkers. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment that we've shared. We thank you, Father, for this time that we've leaned in to your word. Father, we realize that 
it is possible to live a life of joy. It's a choice. It's a daily decision to say, I am going to let the joy of the Lord overflow and run in my life. Father, we do realize there are things, there are traps, there are snares that the enemy has set us up to, to rob us of our joy. So my prayer right now, Father, is that we would identify those things that are robbing us of our joy. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe, Father, it's ambition. Maybe it's comparison. Help us, Father, to see those things that are trapping us up. Help us to see those things that are harming us. Help us to see it, Father, to lay it before you now. Push those things back and to step into this life that you've called us to live. That we would choose joy. That we would choose you. And that we would choose to live a life that truly makes a difference in others. In Jesus' name we pray. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.